Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Ask your boss and they would tell us truth. Um, and so at the end of that whole process, we, we see that we're really affected um, to this level. Ready? Uh, three words. Measure, stature, and fullness of a perfect man. And who is that? Giancarlos, who is the perfect man? Jesus Christ. That's right. So when we measure ourselves against the perfect man, we fall short disgustingly. And so at that point is when we stop justifying who we are and how well we are, and we start saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. How many want mercy? That's God's help. You're saying, Lord, give me some of your help so that I can become that man you want me to be. Now, I don't know, some of you do not, are not very familiar with Jesus Christ. What you know about Jesus Christ is that he hangs on a cross when you go to church and you're, you're feeling sorry for him. Um, but the truth of the matter is, he's a champion and he champions the cause to invite you to be like him. And so we can walk in that direction to be perfect men. And then I promise you, this is, this is a promise, and, and I'll give you your money back if, you don't, if, you, if this doesn't happen. The more you become like Christ, the more your wife's going to cherish you and honor you. And she's going to say, Pastor, my husband is like, he's doing good, man. This guy this guy's the real deal. Um, and so there's three aspects to becoming like Christ. You think like Christ, you speak like Christ, and you act like Christ. Three aspects, the thoughts, words, and actions. So a lot of, and I was even waking up this morning to this thought, I said, when we speak, we help, us, we help ourselves out a little bit because we can, we can jump out of reality into the world of fantasy by our words. Have you ever done that? Uh, there was a couple of young fellows out at the pool at the summer camp, one, one summer camp, and they were next to the pool. And one guy says, uh, my dad could jump from here to the middle of the pool. And so he was bragging on his dad. He goes, oh, yeah, well, my dad could jump all the way across the pool. He could land on the other side. And so words stretch us a little bit. How many say amen? We, we could use words to stretch. Um, but God wants it to be a reality. And he doesn't want it to be a stretch. He wants our character to conform to his image. And, and this is not a new thought. This is not new. From the beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came together in the assembly of God and said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So it was always God's plan that the man that's sitting right next to you right now would be the full expression of the Godhead, the full expression of God. Now, man decided to be deceived and to take another route, and how sad it is, even a man like Solomon. The Bible says that Solomon was not able to array himself even though he was a king, he had the most money, most power. He was never able to attain what God's plans were for his life. And whenever God says, come this way and you go that way, you are subtracting his glory. And you are filling up a measure of shame. So why do I say this this morning? Is because March 13th, 14th, and 15th, we'll get back, um, this is our opportunity to go to Texas and be with over a thousand men and discuss this, say with me, dilemma. That man is the only one that cannot rise up to who he was created to be. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a dog that goes around acting like a cat. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. A dog is a dog. Have you ever seen a cat act like a dog? You've never seen a cat go up to a, a Rottweiler and go, hey, buddy, what's up with you? You'll never see that. So dogs don't act like cats, and cats don't act like dogs, but man, 
fails to take up his identity and be a real man. And that, that is a big problem for us. Um, I love to see little guys that are saying, you know something, when I grow up, I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to be a prince. I'm going to be a hero. And, and they, 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 they walk, they talk, and, they, and they're, they're in that direction. But how horrible it is to have a six-foot-three guy going around like, I don't, I don't, God wants me to pr- be a prince. I don't know if I really am up to it. Mommy, he's six foot tall. He's 50 years old. He's acting like a, like a little kid. He has a crisis identity. So if we get around real men, and who are real men? The ones that want to be like the Lord. You get around mature men, real men. They're not playing games. They're, they're really moving forward in the in the crisis. Now, a lot of the guys that you guys saw in the video, uh, they were at the gym. They were being unfaithful to their wives. They, they didn't have jobs. I, I want you to meet these men because I've met them. Uh, I was with them two months ago. And these guys have turned over a total new reality of maturity. And they have testimonies. And, um, and so we have an opportunity to be with them for two days. So, so that's that. Uh, I want to encourage you. Um, I would even say if, you, if there's like three of you and you're, you're boys and girls and you, your sons and daughters, that you tell you, hey, Dad, we really need you to go. Dad, please go, please. Go and be a part of this thing because when you come back, you'll be totally different. And how many know that we need good, wise men in our lives? How many know that? Raise your hand if you know that. Because here, here's the problem. We're living in a pandemic here. Um. The Bible says that a woman becomes a reflection of the character of a man in her life. So your life as a woman reflects the character of the man that you are with. And and if your man is fearful, give me some good drugs, give me some good psychiatrists, give me some good pills, the woman becomes fearful. If you're faithful, then the woman is a, is a, uh, is a warrior. She's bold. She's, she's confident. If a man is absent, then the woman has to take over. And I've seen women take over. How many have seen women take over? We've seen women take over. I had one woman come into my office. She says, Pastor, I'm the one that does the construction around the house. I do the landscaping in my house. I, I, and I was like, "Woo, go girl. She's the whole girl. And you know what I said? I said like this. I said, that's your glory. But you need to see the glory of God. That's your glory. That's what you can do. But wait till you see what God can do. And I promise you this morning, my whole life is an expression of wanting to see the glory of God. I, I know I could do a lot of things. I, I, you know, I'm very abled. I have a lot of talents and giftings. I, I can do a lot of things, but, but that would be my glory. And the Bible says the glory of man is shameful. We're not to live for the glory of man. The Bible says that the glory of man is a passing, uh, it fades. I don't know, how many know the name Joe Montana? Sound familiar? You talk to your kids. Jordan, you don't know Joe Montana, right? See? <laughs> He's a quarterback, won four Super Bowls in a row for the 49ers, but like 20 years ago. See, that's the glory of man. It fades. And so we don't want to live for that glory. We want to live for a glory that doesn't fade. And you know what that glory is? The glory of God. It says it grows ever brighter with each passing moment. Now, nobody has ever won four Super Bowl in a row. I mean, going around with four Super Bowl rings um, is a great, glorious feat. But the latter days of Joe Montana's life were embarrassing and shameful. And we're like, Joe, go home. Go home already. Quit throwing the football. Uh, Because the glory of man fades and passes. But I promise you, if you live for the glory of God, you will never be ashamed. It doesn't pass. It grows brighter and brighter. So a lot of times we have to say, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. And uh, let that be your prayer all the time, asking for God's help and mercy. Um, The other thing is, 
we, we have a, a marriage conference this week. Um, I, I challenge people all the time in this regard. I tell them, how much does your house cost? And they go, $100,000. I go, okay. How much does your car cost? I paid 20000 for that. She's my beauty. So the, the car, the house. How much did you pay for your education? Well, uh, I'm still paying my student loans. I have uh, $60,000 for my student loans. And so they tell me everything they paid for. I said, okay, how much have you paid for your marriage to make sure your marriage doesn't fall? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, how much have you paid? How much have you invested so that you have an excellent marriage? Well, I don't have time for that. I work too hard. And so this is an opportunity this week on Friday night and Saturday morning to spend, lo and behold, $50 so that you could have priceless input into your family. The number one cause of poverty in the world is a broken family. Number one cause of poverty in the world is a split in the family. Why? Because Jesus says when a house is divided, it won't prevail. It won't prosper. So we are vested into these issues because it's the heart of God that what God has joined together, no man would split up. That's our cause. And so what I was talking about this morning of how we proclaim our goodness is fine. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad your family is doing well. But we have over... 25 orphans in this house that don't have a mother or a father. Do you think you can care about them a little bit? Do you think you could help them out be successful in their marriages? If there's one thing that to me is a shameful scenario that, that my parents were getting a divorce because they didn't know the Lord. And so they were breaking up. But Jesus Christ came and they reconciled and they restored and he healed their marriage. But it would be horrible that I, as the son of somebody who found healing and restoration, would go through a divorce. How is it possible? I have the answers now so that me and Yvette have the best marriage that could exist. And so we will become experts, and, and I challenge you in that, that you help the next generation be successful. Because the human being, it seems, be, is the only animal that continues to make the same mistakes. Hey, mom, how'd, how'd you and dad break up? Well, we weren't in church. We weren't going to, uh, we didn't know Jesus Christ. We didn't read the Bible. Uh, we decided to marry people that were not believers. We decided to, to have sex before marriage. We did all these things, and so our life was a mess. Can I do the same thing? Can, can I repeat that horrible, terror-stricken nightmare? of a life without God. Even the children know. They're like, we don't want to go there, Pastor. Pastor, change the message. Do you hear the kids in the back? They're like, no. The kids say, no. Yeah, they're on the ball, man. We're not going to do the stupid things our parents did. That's what they're saying back there. I mean, I'll tell you, here's, here's the truth. From the time a little girl is like three, four years old, you shouldn't marry a non-believer. You shouldn't marry a non-believer. You shouldn't marry. You shouldn't marry. You shouldn't marry. Okay, you're not marrying a non-believer, right? And they go and they do what? That, that to me is, is crazy. But anyways, we, we won't go there. But I do encourage you to go to the men's event because it's important. We're not doing things to entertain. We're not doing things to waste time. Uh, I want to tell you that there's divine appointments in everything we do in the will of God. Amen? And we had a glorious uh, luncheon yesterday with those that are part of the cafeteria ministry. Could we give them a big hand? Amen. They serve with excellence. And I promise you, if you go there today, you're going to see just another level of, they're going to take it to another level. They said, Pastor, we're going to be like the Ritz-Carlton. We're going we're to serve with excellence. And so we're excited about that. Um, the church continues to grow a lot of people are attending to different groups, different uh, places where they serve God. Um, and and our, we got a new internet service. Can we pop up the internet real quick? Uh, on Wednesday, we just put up a new website. It's very much more interactive than our previous one was. You could go on there to listen to all the messages. 
You could even email the link to one of your friends who's not coming to church and you say, hey, I I want to send you this link to this church I'm going to now and just go in there and and look. And there it is up on the board there. It's linked to Facebook. It's linked to Twitter. Uh, On Twitter, from time to time, pastor will get inspired and and have some thoughts. Um, And go to the live streaming now. There's people watching us all over the world, people that used to come here that are in New York now, Washington, D.C., Santo Domingo, and they watch us. Go into the live. There you go. Um, In the live program, you could, hey, look, it's like 30-second delay, so I'm talking something else there, but in a second, I'll wave. And uh, you could watch all of our messages on there. Keep us up there. Keep us up there. Is it? Oh, but it popped back up there, though. Yeah, that's what we're watching, but it's delayed, see? Because I could go like this, and it doesn't wave. <laughs> you guys keep on. Is it, is, is it bouncing off? It might. No, because it keeps on bouncing back into the, okay, they're trying to make it full screen. See, I walked away, and it, he didn't walk away. There it is. <laughs> okay. So they get the message about 30 seconds late, but they get the message. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that our message gets out to the world. The people that are watching, they have the amount of people that are watching too? Oh, yeah, you could get that little text bar there, and you could tell, my pastor is awesome. Look at him. Look at him. And you just you put it on the memo, and you run a running log if you're ever at home. We did, we did this years ago, so when people cannot make it to church because they're sick or something. Uh, but we say hi, by the way, of all those people that are watching us. We're just talking to the congregation, and we're changing the world. We're on task. Um, <laughs> did I wave again? Okay. Here goes, um, a young, I, I got a phone call, a, a text message yesterday. It was a great text message, and this is it, before we get into the word. Um, six-year-old little boy that comes to the church here with his parents, uh, they decide to drive, you know, to, to Orlando on vacation this weekend. And while, right before they leave, uh, there's an airplane up in the sky, and it's writing, you know, those airplanes that write with clouds. It says, Jesus loves you. So the parents hadn't seen it, and all of a sudden, the six-year-old Danny goes, Hey, Mom, Mom, look, look what the pastor's doing. <laughs> and, um, and she says, What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, look. He says, Jesus loves you. He's up on that airplane. And so um, it's powerful to have those people that know you, you know, seeing your passion for God. And believing that you're doing wild things for the kingdom of God. Amen? And so that's what we want to do. Because it's, it's a time where we have to put away shameful things. Shameful things of seeing you drop the ball. You fumble. You not exercise. You not show up to practice. Your, your, your children and this generation doesn't need uh, more pain in their lives. How many say amen? Um, Jesus wasn't going around. This is, this is so important. What I'm going to say right now. Very important. Although Jesus identified with the lepers and the prostitutes and the, and the blind and the poor and, and the downtrodden in life, even, he, even though he was in that mix, he shined with glorious light because he wasn't sick, because he wasn't being unfaithful in prostitution, because he wasn't being greedy. So, so many Christians go around identifying with Christ. Well, Christ, he loves lepers. Yeah, I understand that. He loves the worst, and I was the worst. But now he, he wants us to stand for his glory. And he wants us to, to shine bright. And so, we can't no longer have our children identify us with the poor, sick, and stupid. Well, my dad is, is such a leper. My dad is so poor. He's so skimpy. He's so indifferent to the things of God. Listen to me. I I want to appeal to you to be a champion, to go from zero to hero and not miss a beat. It's really important that in this day that, that our kids would hold us up as an example of inspiration. And you guys know who we hold up as inspiration, the people who don't fumble, the people who don't Drop the ball. So ask God that you would be a champion and walk in that, 
that reality. And, and I, I believe the grace of God that pulls us out of the pit, that same grace will put us into the palace. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's nothing worse than seeing a, a man of God, a woman of God, drop the ball and, and live less than what God has called them to. So really important in that regard is ask God's grace to accompany you in that reality. His grace will be able to sustain you um, as it sustains me. I was saying this week, um, I was saying this week in the midweek service, and those of you who don't know, we meet on Wednesday night at 7.30. Um, I was saying that, that um, I just lost my thought here. Just totally lost my thought. It'll come back to me in a second. The Bible says the whole world longs to see the sons of God in the full expression of their liberty. And, and that, that, is, that is serious. Oh, this is what I was saying on Wednesday that some man came up to me years ago and says, Joaquin, you're going to mess up and you're going to fall like every man of God falls and you're going to mess up. And I said, look, you know something, I, I can appreciate the pain that is caused by a man of God who drops the ball, but there's something that sustains me, that holds me up. It's called the grace of God. And if that grace ever lets go, that's when I'm going to fall because I'm, 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 I'm looking for that grace in my life. I'm looking for that reality. What God has promised, he's able to perform. How many say amen? amen? What Jesus' desire was for our life was a reality. And I was saying how the devil makes us feel we can be losers and thieves and liars and we could curse and be profane and pornographers. We, we believe that, that man is capable of doing all the twisted things in the world. And we say to the devil, Amen. But when God says, I want to make you a prince, I want to cleanse you, I want to make you an example, I want you not to curse no more, I want you to honor your parents, I want you to be faithful, I want you to be a servant, we're like, well, I'm only human, and we doubt God. We believe the devil and doubt God. So I want to encourage you to believe God. And when you believe God, you're going to see the glory of God. You're going to see great things in your life and in your family. And uh, I'm enjoying that now, 20-some-odd years, 28 years into this, um, I was one of those that didn't believe until I asked the devil, how come I could obey you? How come I could do everything you asked me to do? I'm just going to start obeying Christ. I'm going to be radical for the Lord, and that's what we are in this place. Let's pray for the Word of God. Father, we thank you this morning for your loving kindness. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks for the new website. We give you thanks for the new front landscape. We give you thanks for the locksmith and his diligence in preparing uh, the front door, Lord, as per the fire marshal and the permits. We give you thanks for Manny and the architect and uh, all the contractors that are building and making this place a better place. Give them favor, O oh God. Open the windows of the heavens towards them and fill them with all their provision at levels of and measures of abundance. As they concern themselves with the house of God, you concern yourself with bringing favor and grace upon their life. We give you thanks for those who love your house. We give you thanks for those who love your people. We give you thanks for those who keep your commandments and walk as living examples of men and women who honor you. We give you thanks for the young who have defeated Satan in all his lies. We give you thanks for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and washes us white as snow. We give you thanks, Lord, above all for this glorious salvation that you have brought in Jesus' name. You have brought through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we pray that we would know these things to a greater measure. Just like the world knows its systems and how they navigate in darkness, let us understand your kingdom that we might navigate in light and attain to the full riches of the provisions that you have given us through your great salvation. 
Father, we give you thanks for what you're going, we're going to hear this morning, and we pray that these words not return void. We pray that they would be good seeds planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit and a harvest that would glorify your name. Prosper now your word in the hearts of your people, for you have said that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Prosper, Lord, and increase your work among us as the days are growing more perverted and more dark. Let us love the things of God more than the things of this world. And we praise you and celebrate and worship you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I was seeing, uh, thinking this week that there is no greater uh, message that we can talk about than this salvation that we've inherited. And I, I invite you to read Jude chapter 1, verse 3. As the followers of Christ, the leaders of the early church, concern themselves with the topic of salvation. You should really, really know what salvation is all about. Um, you'll see people on the street, I used to see them uh, asking, are you saved? And I was like, saved from what? Is there a flood coming? Is a hurricane coming? Why are you asking me if I'm saved? But here it is in Jude, in chapter uh, 1, verse, no, you guys have judges. We're going to go to Jude, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says like this, I, my brethren, were, was going to write you concerning this common salvation. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, Jude starts his letter saying, I was going to write you some instructions on how you could live and enjoy and, and attain to this reality called salvation. But I found it more necessary to write to you about men that, that you would fight earnestly for the faith which we once delivered. Why fight? Because there were men in the church. There were men that had creeped in, disguised as people that wanted salvation, that were turning salvation upside down. In other words, if uh, you were to say to me, well, I have decided to leave my wife and my children, and I found myself a girlfriend, and the Lord knows that it's okay because I'm saved by grace and everything is fine. That's what they were doing. They were turning salvation on its head. They were flipping the boat and saying that it would not sink. Well, let me just say to you that it should be our concern not only to talk about those who mess up our salvation, which we did last week. We talked about uh, men who were not real, uh, men who were serving Baal, men who were worshiping idols and following people that were upside down. Um, this week, I want to not talk about those men, and I want to let you understand a little bit more what it means to be saved. What is this world-changing salvation we've received? Number one, salvation means you're being delivered and freed from ruin. You're being saved from something bad that will take place. Saved from the consequences of walking in a manner that is not appropriate. Um, we're talking about being delivered from ruin, from harm, from loss. Salvation is a good thing. Um, I had a friend of mine, she went out on a yacht, and uh, there was about six families on a real big boat, and she was about 14 years old, and nobody was paying attention to her, and they were going out there along the Miami uh, bay outside of Key game, and when nobody noticed, she slipped and fell off the boat at night. So you're 14 years old, you're out there in the middle of the bay, you're a young girl, and you're saying, like Christina did some years ago, Christina, we went uh, canoeing where there was a whole bunch of alligators, and somebody hit our canoe and it flipped over, and she says, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, and I'm like, I don't want you to die either. And so put her real quick back up on the boat, and, and the people that saw me said I was walking on water. They, they didn't know how I was able to jump on that canoe. But this young girl who's out in the middle of the bay, she was saying the same thing. What do I do? And you know that a big boat, a yacht, who is going along the, the, the Miami Bay um, at night, when, when she fell off the boat and she tried to get up and she tried to scream... You can't hear because the engine is too loud. So you're in that situation. You need to be saved. You need to know that you can't save yourself. 
She had no capacity to swim to shore. She had no capacity to be able to be saved. So what happens? Uh, She heard a little engine, thank God it wasn't a big engine, of two American guys that were getting drunk and fishing out there and they were putting her along and when they saw her, they thought she was a mermaid. (laughs) I'm serious. And they put her on the boat and they rescued her. And see something in that category you can't do yourselves. And I want to tell you, and emphatically, even though after we've been a Christian for a while, we think we're doing the saving, no one can save themselves. There is nothing that you can do to rescue you. And so that is awesome in two two categories. Number one, it's 100% God's work. His name, by the way, is Savior. That's what Jesus means. The one who saves. So if it's his, the integrity of his work is to save, you can relax. Tell your neighbor, hey, brother, relax already. You're not doing the saving. Go ahead, tell your neighbor. Do that favor. If you don't tell your neighbor, they might not listen. You're not doing the saving. There's someone that is doing the saving. And his name is Jesus. That's his role. I want to tell you that as a young man, I was so twisted that I pretty much told the Lord that. I told the Lord, I said, hey, Lord, I'm not going to be able to help you. (laughs) I was going to help the Lord. But listen to me. Day one, when I heard the message of salvation, I told the Lord, Lord, there is nothing I can do to help you. And so if you do not save me, I'm not going to be saved. Because I don't want to be saved. I don't intend to be saved. So this is the example I put forth in that brief prayer. I said, Lord, if I'm in the middle of the ocean and I'm drowning, and I was because of my desire to sin, my pleasure for sin, my rebellion, my disobedience, If I'm out there drowning and a lifeguard came out to me and he says, okay, Joaquin, I am here to help you not drown, but I need you to help me. You can't. I need a lifeguard to come out there and know I can't help me and he saves me anyway. He's able to rescue me. So I told God that. Lord, from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, there is a total inability. And I I was being super honest with the Lord. I I wasn't playing games. I said, if salvation is going to take place in my life, it's going to have to be 100% you. And so that's the good news because that's exactly what God intends to do. Really, you know, we are defective all the way from our youth in our ability or inability to do anything right. From the time the first question came, our dad asked us, did you do that? No. Of course you did do that. But you came with an internal device in nature to go against everything that's right. So now we need something super powerful. Super, super powerful to save us and deliver us from the worst state of humankind. I love the Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 where the Bible says that he's able not only to save, because maybe if you don't have a messed up life, maybe it's easy for him to save. But I love this. Indeed, those who are the sons, um, is that 725? There he goes. Therefore, he is also able to save. Say with me, able. That means he can do it. He's able to save to the uttermost. Listen, you can't understand uttermost until you understand guttermost. 
I don't, I don't know how far down and twisted and, and messed up you were. But you know something? God goes there. That's where he went. He went to seek and save the lost. We saw him last week when he's, he reached Zacchaeus, a tax collector, a chief, greedy, rich, perverted man who believed in nobody but himself, me, myself, and I. And, and there was salvation. Salvation has come to your house, he says. For I, I have come to seek and save those who were lost. The Samaritan woman, five husbands, and she's on an adulterous affair. She's in some type of scam. He says, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with right now doesn't belong to you. But I've come to give you a gift of salvation. So I want you to get through your mind that he is not only called the Savior, he saves gloriously. I'm talking about huge. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he's always lives, he, his passion is to forever make intercession. He's praying for our obtaining the full measure of salvation, the full description. Um, your, your life should be that expression. Your life should be that reality. Now, some of you that look at me right now, you're looking at me and say, Pastor, you know something? You're, 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 I don't believe you. I think that you're just putting on a show because you need to make a living. But here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.21. He says, he's chosen a method to bring this salvation. Because men would not get it through wisdom. You're not going to take a man into a classroom and get on a chalkboard and show him how God's going to do the work. It doesn't fit in our brain. Do you understand what I'm saying? It does not fit in your ability to calculate how God, listen to me, he doesn't save just a little bit so you don't go to hell. His plan is so, so amazing that his salvation includes your past, your present, and your future. Now you, you say, wait, wait, wait. How does he save my past if I just got here this morning? Listen to me. Because he's omnipotent. Because he can do all things. And when he says he saves your past, your present, your future, you cannot even fathom. It won't even come into your brain to understand what the full expression of salvation is. It doesn't even fit there. So don't try and, and go in that regards, but do what Paul says. He says, since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Two types of people in this room. Those that will believe and will be saved and obtain salvation. Those that say, you know something, I don't believe it. I can't see it. How is it going to happen? And so um, that is a sad scenario that having the capacity to come into this salvation, people say, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to get into it. I thank God that my reasoning was very limited when I started. And all I told them was this. Listen, I'm drowning. I agree with you. I'm a sinner. And I need salvation. And I can't help you. Save me. Save me. And I'll do whatever you say, but just save me. And so since that age of 16 to now that I'm 45, I have enjoyed a vast inheritance of that salvation. A vast expression. Can, you, can I tell you that the Lord has resolved my past? Everything that I could be upset about or sad about or traumatized about or experiences that I went through that were hellish, he resolved he has healed. He has settled accounts. I don't go around anymore. You, you know what happened to me? I was listening to a preacher, and he says, my mom had seven husbands, and those are the ones she married. But she had like 15 or 20 more she never even married. 
And they came in through my life and they abused me and they hurt me and they raped me and they, 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 they let me down. He says, I got sick of calling men dad. But today he's a prince. He's a prince. He, the Lord's salvation has resolved his past. He no longer lives there. That has no claim on his emotions and his heart because he has been immensely and amazingly saved. And so I want to tell you one of the titles of God in Psalm 68 verse 20 that our God is a God of salvation. Our God is the God of salvation. I want you to underline that. It would be a good idea for you to have a Bible. Good idea. So you can mark down and learn these things and pass them off to other people because you're the instrument of God to your family and friends. You're the instrument of God to those people who need a lifeline. And if you don't have a Bible and if you're not underlining, if you're not learning, if you're not memorizing, if you're not bringing these things in your spirit, then salvation stays with you and it's not supposed to. Because if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household shall be saved. The salvation includes all those people around you. And you say, well, how? They're atheists. How? They don't even, they're agnostic. How? They, they don't believe in God. How? They're hurt. How? They back. Listen to me. Let God do his thing. Let God do his work. And the Bible says our God is the God of salvation. And I want to tell you also the realm and to God the Lord belong the escape from death. That's what salvation is. Delivering you from destruction. Saving you from death. Avoiding the travesty of the things that are in your future because you are not in salvation. And so it's important that we would, we would navigate in the direction of God's game plan, that we would listen to God. And that's why Paul, who knew a lot of things, he had to give it up and say, Romans 1.16, I am no longer ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to sit there and act like this thing is lame because, because it is the power of God that brings salvation, say to me, say with me, for everyone. Does that include everyone or does the Bible say everyone and means only some? For everyone. His plan of salvation is for everyone who believes, even the Jewish people first, and then those that are non-Jewish, the Gentiles. Those who have not seen salvation. Why? Because the Jewish saw salvation when, when he sent Moses into Egypt. And he delivered them from Pharaoh. And he opened up the Red Sea. And they, they were able to realize there in Exodus chapter 13 verse 14... That there was only one thing that a person that's getting saved can do. You know what it is? 14, 13. It's to be still. Be still and know that he is able. There it is. Exodus 14, 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and just witness the salvation of God. I get excited. You should be too. How are we going to fix this mess? Be still. Fear not. Watch God do his thing. Watch God. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For these problems that you see today, you will see never more. Amen. That was good preaching. That's good preaching. Whenever you are taking the, and, and guys, you know, unload right now, which is saying just drop it off because it's not your burden. Unload. God says stand still. Be fear, fear not. Don't walk. Contrary. Just watch what I can do. 
And I've been watching God for a long time. And so that's why it doesn't matter what the situation is. When, when we're facing adversity and, and deep darkness and, and deep doo-doo. And, and we, people are like, you know, can God do something? I smile. Of course he can. The Bible says he's the author of salvation. He's the one that wrote, wrote the book. He's the one that brought in the whole scenario. Let's go read this real quickly. He's the author of our salvation. He's the one that started this whole thing. And we read that in Hebrews 5.9. It says he is perfect. He is excellent. And because he's perfect in all his ways, he's become the author of amazing salvation to all. To all who believe, to all who obey him, to all who walk. Why hasn't God done something for me? Do you listen to him? Do you follow him? Do you allow yourself to be, no, I'm, I'm mad, I don't, I don't follow him. Listen to me, you can't, you, can't, you can't sit there and see the goodness of God. As you do everything contrary to his lifeline. Um, I've been saved many times. We went boating one day and, and our, we ran out of gas or something happened. I don't know what happened, but the engine wasn't working. There's a big boat comes along. Hey, throw me a line. I don't want to. Hey, uh, stand on the other side of the boat to bow. No. As we rebel and consistently walk contrary to the author of our salvation, we lose. We lose. Tell your neighbor, you're lost. You're lost. You can't if you don't listen to the author of salvation. If you don't have the disposition. I said, God, if you tell me to stand on my head in a corner and clap my hands, I will do it. What does it take for me to be a prince? What does it take for me... To walk in your purpose. Obedience. It says he's the author of salvation to all who obey him. Well, then what is he to those who disobey him? There's nothing. There's nothing to the disobedient. Rebellion. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 puts it all in context. Much more than since he has already come and died giving his blood, which is another aspect of this salvation. Anybody who's given their blood for you loves you. Anybody who's given their life for you loves you. And so he says, having much more, now since he's already proved it by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. Verse 10. See, the judgment is not the devil, it's not us, it's not sin, it's him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been connected with him, we shall be saved by living like he lives. He wants to save us. He wants to save us. You know, how have the non-saving thoughts of disgrace, non Saving thoughts of disgrace trumped the saving thoughts of his grace. In other words, why do we think twisted? Why do we give our thoughts over to destruction? I was talking to a woman this week. I said, for the past year you've lived contrary to God and now you're living a nightmare. If you don't stop thinking like that, you're going to live a terrorist a terror-filled nightmare. Quit thinking like that. Think like God. And in order to think like God, you got to have the Spirit of God on you. And say, God, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your truth. Fill me with your love. I don't want to walk in vengeance anymore. I don't want to walk in resentment, bitterness, lack of forgiveness. Get those thoughts out of my life. Let me forgive. Let me be able to pray for those who have done spitefully. Save me, Lord. Save me. That's what the prodigal son was saying. He returned. He turned his ways. He turned his thoughts. Here's what is revealed in his salvation. In John 3.16. We all know it. In this salvation, something is revealed. Can you say with me the love of God? This is what motivates God to save us. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A measure of life that is huge. That's the message. 1 John 4, 9. For this is the love of God that is revealed in us. That he gave his only son. This is the love that God manifested toward us. That God has sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, the appropriation, the full satisfaction of our sins. I want to tell you that there's nothing greater, there's nothing more amazing than saving grace. Than that grace that comes and, and brings you up. I mean, we've seen it all the time. We've seen the stories. You should talk to some of the people here. Um, our drummer, Javier, he'll play in the second service. How his stepfather murdered his mom. Shot her in the head and shot her in the heart. Right in front of him. He was coming out of college and there she lied, covered in the yellow bl police blanket. And he knew that it was his mom. Could Christ save in the midst of that craziness? Absolutely. Absolutely. The hand of God reached it out and kept him. And there was a danger in the midst of that process because I told, I told Javier when it happened, he was 19 years old, I said, don't give yourself over to Satan because he's attacked your family. Give yourself over to God because he's able to bring you up in the midst of the hellish nightmare of having your mother murdered right in front of you. The Lord brought that young man up. He hasn't missed a beat. He's not, he's not subjected to psychiatrists and traumas, and he's not subjected to bitterness and hate and resentment and tumors and depressions and anxiety. That man is a prince. That man has married a beautiful woman and has four girls. And, and in the saving grace of God, he says, Pastor, the Lord took away one woman and gave me five. We see the salvation of God and his mercies. And I want to tell you our only obligation, I'm going to go fast now. Ready? Our only part of this thing is to celebrate. I don't know if you can celebrate. Um, I'm going to ask Omar, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to pull up this video. And this is a man in the Bahamas who's going to give his offering to the Lord. He's giving his tithe to the Lord. And I, I wish that this church became a reflection of those of us who have really experienced salvation, that we would dance, that we would sing, that we would yell, that we would be so attentive, that, that we were like, "Woo! I feel good now, wow, wow, wow. Listen to me, because we are the objects of his grace. We are the people that have said amen to the foolish preaching of the gospel. And we're just like doing the moonwalk right here. Woo! Can't fall off here. Listen to me. We need to perfect our praise because this salvation is too great. Let's show this little video clip. And, and why don't we stand up and do your best. Try to imitate this man, all right? Well, this is going to be a three-minute little break, and then we'll go back into the Word for two minutes. Stand up. There he is. Woo! There he goes. Woo! He's blown away. enough that's enough all right have a seat have a seat listen to me 
You can tell who got it, and you can tell who needs it. All right? We need to celebrate our God. We need to celebrate in the way we serve, in the way we're passionate, in the way, you know, I tell my friends all the time, I says, hey, Joaquin, how you doing? I said, brother, I'm doing so great. I was going to hell, and Jesus saved me. I was destined to hell, and the Lord loved me and pulled me out. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, there is no salvation in any other name. Salvation is found nowhere else, my friend. Yesterday we went to see, there was a Hindu. We were coming back from seeing Wellington Boone. We had breakfast with him yesterday. He was in Fort Lauderdale for like a couple hours. And on the way back, we go through and there's a church, a Hindu church in Broward County. And they're outside and and they're all dancing and celebrating. I said, there's no salvation here. There's no salvation here. You see the Mormons riding their bikes. You see the Jehovah Witnesses knocking on doors. You see a lot of people doing a lot of things. And the Bible says they're nor is there salvation under any other. There's no salvation. There's religion. There's, there's religious theology. There's intellectual instruction. But there's no salvation in any other under heaven that is given as a gift. All the other major religions, you have to work hard. And here Jesus gives you a gift that is priceless. A gift. The the top measure of this, he says, there is no other salvation given under any other name under heaven among men by which they must be saved. There's only one way. And and there it is in Christ and you have them. And sometimes we're so indifferent. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says that this salvation is by grace. It's not because you're doing things. For by grace you are saved. Nobody makes me do what I do for God. I can't find enough to do for him. If I had an airplane, I would write, Jesus loves you up in the high, in the sky. I would. That everybody might know this reality. We're saved by a gift that through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one would be proud and lift themselves up. Today, we have contemplated this issue of salvation. And I want you to stand now and purpose in your heart to do what it says in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, this is what characterizes somebody who's being saved is obedience. And I always tell people, who are you obeying? And they tell me, God. I say, yeah, Where? They can't point to anybody who's godly that they listen to and follow in instruction. Let's go to Philippians 2.12. As you have always obeyed, not only in the presence, not only because we're at church this little bit, but now much more when nobody's around. Much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Start start making it a reality. And, And like I said... This gentleman who's dancing and singing there at his church, we don't even know where God brought him from. We don't know how God brought him out of what. But if we culminate our past, and a lot of people still need God to go there, his grace to come there, our our present, you know, with, with regards to the peace we have now, and then... There's no greater salvation than than that that comes through faith about our future. And so I want to encourage you that that you perfect your praise, that you press into this salvation, that you, the the Bible says in 1 Peter, let's read that real quick, 1 Peter 1, 9 and 10, he says a lot of people have tried to look into this reality. 1 Peter 1, 9 that you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That this is not just a, a process of religion. That you're working out your salvation for the saving of your soul. Verse 10. Of this salvation, prophets have inquired and searched carefully. And they prophesied of the grace that would come. Many men, theologians, historians, people that lived in the past were trying to figure out how God would save man. How many, how many understand that a little bit better this morning? That through his message of the cross, through Jesus Christ, salvation has come to all men. 
And the Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, He shall answer you. And He shall deliver you from all the situations. And you guys know that Paul said, if we don't pursue these matters, then what's left is to be disqualified. And be disqualified means not be saved. I want to tell you, you don't want to be there. You don't want your kids to be there. You don't want your future to miss that out. You want this salvation to to be a reality and to come into your life. So as we sing this song real quick, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and talk with God and just tell Him, Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to save my family. I need you to save my past, my present, my future. Just talk with God for two minutes and then we're going to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matchless love and 